El futuro tiene nada más que la confrontación. Hey, welcome to Unpopular Opinion. I'm your host, Adam Todd Brown. I used to write a bunch of weekly columns for a bunch of fucking internet places, and I would use those columns to put forth all sorts of crazy opinions. Then, I would come on this show to defend those opinions. But now, I don't do anything at all, ever. Joining me today, he's my co-host on this podcast, so I have to come up with things to say about him every time. I hear the raisins that he, he gets from the farmer's market were especially good this week. So if you see him out in public, ask him about that. Ladies and gentlemen, Jeff May, also joining me. He is a fantastic comedian who has appeared on this network so, so many times. Not recently, though. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. It was like a couple of months ago. But still, he's here now. Ladies and gentlemen, Joe Kay. It's going to be a great show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Unpopular Opinion. I am your host, Adam Todd Brown. Joining me as co-host this week is a fuckface who's mocking everything I say as I talk. Who are you? It's me, Jeff May, but I'm not a fuckface, Adam. You cut that out. You cut that out right now. I just called you a fuckface. But I'm not a fuckface, okay? Objectively, you are, because I just said it. No, that's subjectively. That's not how this works. I'm not just a fuckface because you say it. I mean, what is and isn't objective is subjective. Although if we wanted to look at it through like a Buddhist perspective, I guess I am a fuckface because if your perception of me is a fuckface, then that is sort of like the quantum existence of me is that from your perspective, I am a fuckface. Therefore, that version of me is a fuckface. Hey, Jeff's a fuckface. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. From a quantum and or Buddhist perspective, I'm a fuckface. So fuckface is in the eye of the beholder. You should fuck this face like DMX, bro. Hey, also joining us today for the first time. I I think it hasn't been that long, but maybe it's been a while. It's been a while. Joe K is here. Hi. Yeah, no, I feel like it has been a while. The last time we were here, I was yelling about kids needing to wear like jeans to Zoom school. Oh, that's right. Right. And I was with you on that one. Yeah, it was like, fuck that. Anyway, but hi, it's great to be back. Joe, what have you been up to? Oh, you know, it's nor it's my busiest time of the year. Like for my own personal whatever like what I do. It's October. I've been watching two movies a day at least for the whole month. Spooky season. Usually I'm out doing all the haunted houses and stuff, but you know, thanks thanks fucking pan pandy times. It's also the spooky season because we are eh, about a week away from the twenty twenty presidential election. Who's excited? I am nervous. I've I've not been this nervous. Yeah. I thought I was nervous four years ago. And my God, like, hold my beer. Because 2020 is... The, the last time I was this nervous was when episode two was about to be released. Because I was like, is this going to be bad like the last one? Because I'm is waiting. Is this going to be as bad? It can't yeah. be worse. And that's what this feels like. This is the Attack of the Clones moment for me. This is definitely in contention for one of the worst years in recent memory i mean we still have like that election could go one of several ways maybe there will be some sort of positive outcome i'm not banking on it but could still happen 
But uh, the thing we're talking about this week, speaking of really bad years, I don't even remember what I started researching that got me down this path, but my God, 2014 was a terrible fucking year. In terms of things that just the sheer amount of things that happened, but also things that we're dealing with now that started that year, it's crazy. It's a year of precedent being set. And sort of like tone being set for what's going to happen. And it's terrifying. Many a seed were planted. I don't remember coming out of that year being like, that was an important year. That's that's right, one for the history right. books. But looking back on it, like that is going to be the year that's in the history books. Because it, it feels like, just in looking back on it, that some kind of Pandora's box opened that year. And all the bad shit started happening in 2014. It seems like. And uh, we're going to talk about some of it to, to prove the case. That is the year that I was broken up with on Google chat in January. That's how my year started. A Google chat breakup. We did tour for the first time in 2014. We did. We did. So that's also bad. Yeah. So that was also bad. Well, we should have known because the amazing Spider-Man 2 came out in 2014. So we should have definitely known something bad was coming that was bad that was very bad so we're, we're not going to spend too much time on any of these because we have a lot of things to get through because i'm telling you a lot fucking happened in 2014 like i'm not imagining this right no you're right and the, and the precedent being set for actions and then actionable reactions is intense it's really remarkable. And I just, I don't remember feeling like it was that, I mean, the Black Lives Matter thing really stands out. And we'll talk about that because 2014 is when all that started. But I think it might just be because like where we are right now, we're so used to like five of these things happening a day now. So it just does it, it, it at the time, you know, when something crazy or insane or bad, quote unquote, is happening like every three to five months it doesn't feel as like apocalyptic i i the other part about what you're saying adam and then to piggyback on what you're saying joe is that you're like it didn't seem like it at the time like you're right but that a lot of things happening right now also in the future are going to be it didn't seem like it at the time and i think a good example of that is how the country is sort of relaxing because we're recording this in, in late october of 2020 We've been through uh, about eight complete months of, of sort of COVID vibes, and the country's really starting to relax. A lot of it's like rules, and the people are starting to relax, and you're starting to see uh, the thing that I see the most is live comedy, and I see a lot of events going on, and people are doing all these things, and this is one of those things where everybody that has a brain is saying, no, this is going to get worse before it gets better. And and I've mentioned it's funny that you mentioned, Adam, the history books, because I've said this as like the reason I won't do a live show is because I don't want to be in a history book un with the, the thing that's saying. And some people didn't take it seriously, pictured a comedian at a live event in October in the middle of the pandemic right before it got tragically worse. Like, I, I can't be that guy. I've seen pictures of comics at these shows and it's like, OK, it's a socially distant show, but. Why are you all hugged up with the other comedians there? You don't fucking live together. Comedians are gross. Yeah, you got to like, if you're going to like, I mean, by now we're, we're all these months into it. And I've op like opened the pod to maybe like two or three friends. But it's like, we're all on top of what each other 
does, who we see, where we go, how often we're being tested. Like we're all, cause at this point, I mean, at least for me, like, honestly, anybody wants to fucking come for me for going over to somebody's apartment and watching a movie. It's like, fuck you. You don't know how precaut, like how careful we all are. Um, but yeah, these seeing people that I know, love and respect doing live comedy right now. I'm like, Oh, come on, come on y'all. You're just like, all right, well, now I'm not going to socially distantly watch a movie at your place or something at like your that. Place. Yeah, exactly. Not, not to go on that tangent, though, because I know what you were saying, Adam, but you are right about that whole like in the moment you wouldn't think nobody ever thinks realistically that something is going to be in the history books. Like you really like even even with the Trump election, we're like, oh, this is annoying. Let's move forward. But not a lot of people were like, this is going to be the start of a massive cataclysm. I think the last true thing that we knew all collectively was going to be in the history books as it was happening is like 9-11. Like you just knew like the the day after, you know, like, oh, people are going to be learning about this. This is a major part of not just like American history, but it is part of world history. Yeah. Hurricane Katrina, too, probably. Could, yeah. Yeah, well, Katrina. And that's not to say that there weren't people that are saying that. Like, I think mm-hmm. COVID, there were a lot of people that are saying this is going to be like, you know, the Spanish flu influenza of, of 1918 and blah, 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 and all that. Like, I get that people were saying that, but not everybody collectively agreed. Yeah. And so it does make sense that you kind of forget that all these things happened in 2014. And then you look at it and you're like, oh, fuck. Because, yeah, you sent this list and I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, he's got a point. I like I like skipped through the thesis statement. It was just like looking at the articles and I was like, wow, these are all over the place. What is the topic today? <laughs> and then I finally scrolled back up. I was like, oh, it was okay. like three sentences long, Joe. It wasn't wasn't yeah, a long time to read that. Well, I just always just because every time I come on, usually it's just like, what are the current events? So I was like, oh, what happened this week? Like just scrolling down. Yeah. And I was like, wait, this didn't happen this week. What is it? What the fuck is this? What happened this week? Six years ago. <laughs> right. Yeah. And the, the talk about the coronavirus lends itself well to the, the first thing that happened in 2014 that I want to talk about. It wasn't the first thing that happened in 2014. Just the first thing I want to talk about in terms of things that happened in 2014. We get it, Adam. <laughs> the Ebola virus outbreak. Which the what? Remember I, that? Like, rem- do you remember being at all concerned about this? Not no. concerned, but I remember hearing about it. No, no. Like, you know what it really comes down to is like, if you live in a port city, you should be concerned about things immediately. Mm-hmm. Oh, like, yeah. That's in my head. Like, if you live in a major port city, you should be worried. Don't but we kind of live in a major port city? Um, I don't think Los Angeles is a massive port, though, is it? I think there are one. It, I think it's a more. If it's north. not, I'm going to go build some fucking ports. Yeah. Wouldn't it be like Long Beach or San Diego? Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely south, as yeah. you get further south, for sure. Yeah. I said north and I meant south. And that's my bad. Wow. Um, I know. I'm a fucking San Francisco idiot. San Francisco feels like it would be a big port city. Yeah. But yeah, no, I didn't really necessarily think about it, which I'm always a little bit nervous about pandemics because of swine flu. Yeah. You got swine like, flu, right? Yeah, that's right. I oh, got wow. I, I got it from kids because kids are fucking gross. Now, I mean, like I, I always like hear about these, like whenever it's like a potential of a pandemic or anything major medically in the news, I always hear about it because my mom is now is a retired medical professional. So it's like 
always it's always, oh did you hear about that did you hear about this or that um she's jay leno and being from new york city <laughs> yeah my mom is jay leno she's like, have um, you seen this growing up in new york this? city like i grew up through the bird flu through the swine flu in like cities where so many people were getting these things like all at once so i've lived through pandemic panic before so that's why when this all started i was like we've got this i know it <laughs> And, and for all intents and purposes, New York, they kind of had it in the bag. Like, they figured it out. In the like, body bag. Okay. okay. The fact that within three weeks, they went on complete and total lockdown for a full month and got shit under control for what it's worth. Like, they got it together faster than we did. They still have it together more than fucking we do. Yeah, New York is also this massive, it's a weird, you can't really even consider it a microcosm because it's so compact. Like New York is just a stacked city. No, but that's just the thing. It's a literal, like if one person gets it immediately, a thousand more people are going to get it. Like it is that everything is so tight. So the fact that they did get it anyway. um, Yeah. When Ebola came through, I was like, this is just another one of the, like, this is going to be nothing. We've dealt with Ebola in the past. That's the other thing. New. I don't remember being particularly worried about Ebola or SARS or swine flu or any of them. Ebola is one of those things. I'm going to also say something that is, um, it's probably, it might sound divisive, but it's, I think, a realistic thing. I don't think Americans worried about Ebola too much because it's an African disease. And I think a lot of people didn't think of themselves as being susceptible in the same way that they would be like, oh, that's not, that's for poor people in Africa that are drinking, you you know, like the stereotypes that you think of when you think of African nations and sickness. It was the beginning of this. Like people saw COVID as the, the quote unquote, the Chinese flu or the Chinese virus that was disproportionately affecting, you know, people of color in this country. So it was, you know, rich, white, Orange County fucks that are like, it won't get me. It can never get me. Man, I hate Orange County. Yeah, we all do. And the reason Ebola virus and H1N1 and SARS, did SARS happen under Obama? I don't think so. No, SARS happened. No, that was, right that, was, that was Bush. Bush. But one of the reasons Ebola is so consequential to right now is after this happened, that's when Obama did two things. One, he put someone at the National Security Council in place whose sole job was pandemic preparedness. Like the next Dr. Zismar. Yeah. Yeah. The next pandemic that was going to happen, this guy was tasked with figuring out how to minimize it and stop it. It's it's cool to think of him getting activated like a sleeper cell. <laughs> yeah. Like as soon as it hits and some Manchurian ass word comes out and he just all of a sudden immediately just terminators his way through science. Just like a, a pediatric orthodontist in like Duluth. Just <laughs> he's not a he's not a virologist. He's like he's like, oh, I'm actually I study uh, I study uh, I study butterflies. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a lepidopterist, actually. Uh, yeah, I mean, doctor doesn't really matter either way because. Trump eliminated that position because stop it. Of course he did. Who needs wow. it? And also you heard a lot about the Trump administration when this all started saying, oh, oh well, the Obama administration left us kind of empty handed in this regard. We didn't. It's not like they left us a playbook or anything. The Obama administration literally left them a playbook. It was called pandemic playbook. 
and we will link to it. You can go download it still. It's right online. Why doesn't Trump just download it? <laughs> we, should, we should send him the PDF, man. That'll save a lot of problems. Yeah, there's a lot of question as to whether he just really didn't know this existed or if they knew it existed and just wanted to act like it didn't as if well, we couldn't he just knew it existed. It. Yeah. Like, uh, think about who wrote it and who Trump considers to be his mortal enemy. Like, why would you give any credit to Obama if you are the worst person in the world? He he is that. And yeah, it's just one of many things. Like I said, I don't want to spend too much time on any of these because we got a lot right. to fucking get through. And a lot of them are very consequential to what's happening right now. Such as Black Lives Matter started in 2014, which also meant Blue Lives Matter started in 2014. So we kind of drew our Civil War lines in 2014 without even realizing it. I feel like those lines were drawn a while ago. I think we just officially got jerseys for them. Yeah, yeah. We have merch for it now. Yeah, we, we officially got, a, got, got a home and away jerseys. Yeah, we did a whole episode about the thin blue line, the blue wall of silence, all the annoying cop shit that allows police depravity to carry on. And you should definitely check those out because that is, this is the point in history where all of that starts. The 2014 is the year Michael Brown was murdered. Eric Garner was murdered. Tamir Rice was murdered. There were protests all over the country. And this is, for all intents and purposes, the moment in history where Black Lives Matter becomes a thing. I think, too, and, and, and it's one of those things that when we talk about how social media changes everything and like uh, Facebook Live was a relatively new thing in 2014, right? Like Facebook, Facebook Live hadn't exactly been a, a big push I think it was like maybe 2013. I, I'm trying to look it up right now, but I'm I don't want to like fucking ramble. But I'm pretty that, that sure that feels right. Honestly, that 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 sounds right. Oh, I'm, oh, you know what? It looks like it was uh 2015 that it was mm. uh pushed out there. But people were sharing videos on Facebook at the time, even if they weren't going live. Maybe it was like live on Instagram was like a big thing. It was maybe like the new. Well, it's probably Periscope, something like that. Like there were, I yeah. mean, it doesn't, the platform oh, doesn't. I forgot about Periscope. Yeah, the platform doesn't so much matter, but you're right that this is, this is the point where we started seeing police brutality videos on the regular. Yeah, but in real time, which is the other thing too, because a lot That's, of times yeah. you see it in yeah. YouTube and it's like, okay, well, you know, we edited out 20 minutes of it because it would have been too long and it was just waiting or something like that. But now we're seeing it in real time. People are like, I got pulled over this and then people get fucking shot. Oh, but, but you don't, but you don't know what's happening before they hit re record. Uh, 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 you didn't see him call the cop an asshole right before they hit record. Uh, okay. Yeah. He called him a cracker. Okay. Okay. Yeah, sure. there that's was, hilarious. There was a lot of that. I remember I remember quite a few arguments in 2014 with people who were like not all cops. And even then I was like all cops. Yeah. Oh man, I was visiting home in New York literally the day Eric Garner was murdered, and I'll tell you it was all anybody was on Staten Island. And he was murdered on Staten Island. I am from Staten Island. And my God, the amount of like cop dick sucking I had to hear that week was just astronomical. 
Facebook officially launched live for everybody on April 6th, 2016. But the streaming, the live streaming process that that really had sort of begun at the time. And I I know it's, you know, we didn't want to spend too much time on this, but that can't be ignored that I think that is a poignant thing. Yeah, social media really has made it, and YouTube has made it so that the things that Black America has been talking about forever, White Mm -hmm. America is actually seeing, and a significant portion of White America is like, oh, fuck. Because we, like, we ignored it, I think. I think a lot of people, you know, ignored the systemic issue of, right of police violence we were just like oh well you know if you're not doing a crime then they're not gonna fuck with you and now we're like oh no they that's 100 percent gonna happen 1000 percent changed a lot and the nypd is corrupt to a point where even like growing up i'm very white and growing up in a completely very white household my mom had like a minor version of the talk with me about like hey some cops are just gonna be fucking pieces of shit and you have to know that like she my mom's been telling me since I was a child, the NYPD is extremely corrupt and they will do anything to fuck like you and everyone around you to save their own ass. And I was like, shit, I think that's just police in general. My mom's pretty cool. Like even my dad, like we're both white, so he didn't have to have much of a talk with me about police. But he at one point was like, hey, don't drive in the left hand lane. It just gives police a reason to pull you over. Mm. that's like that's the only police talk we ever had but even my dad was like yeah man fuck the police yeah the talk with my mom was never about getting murdered it was about just like you you might just someday get arrested because a douchebag feels like doing it to you how to avoid minor annoyances Mm -hmm. basically Mm -hmm. very different it was very like just and for us it was it, it was probably the same things where they just said like yes sir no sir a lot like just listen and comply and you, you know, hope for the best. I was in close contact with a lot of police from when I was a boxing trainer, mm. when I was a fighter, mm. and then when I was also doing the charity events for the police department. So I was in con- uh, close contact with them a lot and in social events with them a lot. And boy, let me tell you, when they think you are on the team, they oh my God. say, uh, dude, the amount of shit they have said where I was just like, oh, you must think I'm like into this because I'm not. Mm-hmm. at all um not as mu- like a lot of it was sex sexually explicit and, and sexist and like mm-hmm. pr- downright predatory i didn't they they weren't not a lot of racism out there but boy was the awful and complete treatment of women also every cop i've ever met in, in my life has cheated on their wife also in 2014 538.com writer claire malone has identified 2014 as the most logical candidate for year the Trump era started. And part of that has to do with a lot of the things we're going to talk about today. And what all of these things culminated in was Gallup, who does polling. Everyone's heard of a Gallup poll. They do an annual poll that gauges how much Americans trust their institutions. So like, not just how well is the country doing, but how well... How much do you trust the people in charge of our most essential functions as a country? And in 2014, we hit our lowest point since they had been tracking that figure, which was 1993. In 2014, our trust in American institutions 
hit 31%, which meant, among other things, that we were prime and ready for someone like Trump to come in and be like, look, we need to burn all of this shit down and start over. That was the year in history when people were most susceptible to that kind of messaging. And that's exactly what we got two years later. And I would argue we got a good version of that in Bernie Sanders, and we got a bad version of that in Trump. And we picked Trump. It's funny that you um, mentioned trust a lot when this, because that's also the name of the Prince song that is playing when the Joker is pretending to be giving out money, but poisoning everybody in Gotham City in the Batman movie. (laughs) That is quite a memory on you, man. You expect me to not know about what song was playing in Batman? Yeah, what do you think? I've, what do you think my career is like? Adam? It's like the least surprising thing <laughs> Jeff has ever said. Like I'm like, yeah, I literally anything that involves the word Batman coming out of this fuck's face, um, I just trust. <laughs> you can tell me utter lies about the Batman canon, and I'd be like, uh huh. But I was also, you'll notice, relating it to something Adam would understand, which is a Prince song. That is true. I know my I know my audience, and I know my interactions. Trust, trust, hubba, 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 money, money, money. Who do you trust? Me? I'm giving away free money. And where is the Batman? He's at home washing his tights. I mean, that's essentially what Trump was doing about the government. I love you. Kind of, yeah. And then he gassed everybody, which is kind of what Trump is doing. I'm just saying the parallel is there. I'm telling you, we're going to it's it's a good guess. It's a good guess for you. It's going to heal you completely. It's going to make you immune. I'm immune. I feel powerful. Speaking of things that uh, we're, we're still dealing with now and speaking of the start of the Trump era, another thing that happens in 2014, the Central American migrant crisis, which is the point in history when. I mean, it's ex- if I need to explain what that is, you should be able to get it just based on the title. But it's the point in history when this huge influx of asylum seekers from Central America started crossing the American border. During fiscal year 2014, 68,541 unaccompanied children were apprehended at the U.S.-Mexico border. That was a 77% increase from the year prior. And we just did an episode about how America creates its own problems a few weeks ago. And we talk a lot about this situation on that episode because this is a thing that was caused mostly by U.S. foreign policy in Central America. But one of the impacts of it in 2014 is... This is also the point where Obama starts pushing Congress to give him additional funding to fight illegal immigration. Specifically, he asked for $4 billion to build new detention facilities and hire more Border Patrol agents. I'm not sure if he got that $4 billion specifically, but we know for goddamn sure we got those detention facilities. I would say, too, that beyond the detention facilities, the major problem is the agents that are hired to handle this. I think that 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 really comes down to it because in a way I understand, you know, with illegal migration and and it's a very very it's a very touchy situation for everybody involved and I understand that there are there is some kind of a need to house and home the people that are arriving as they're dealing being dealt with through process or whatever. 
I understand that that is a necessary thing. But when the people that are then left in charge of that process are demons, then it's a very easy way to mishandle it. Yeah, it's like any other thing. Like I I talk about all the time how when the government's doing something, you need to look at it critically, whether it's your side doing it or not, because whatever they're doing is going to be in the hands of the other side at some point. And then how are they going to use it? And Obama's immigration policy is a great example of that. It's not good. There's no harm in looking at ways to make our immigration system better. But what happened here was Obama, even though he was asking to build detention centers, he was also wanting to at least give these kids a chance to become citizens in the United States. If you look at the arguments he was getting from Republicans at the time, they were more like, well, we just want you to shut down the border altogether and stop people from coming. Like, we don't even care about detention facilities. We want you to just turn people around at the border. So we do demonize Obama a little bit for building these detention centers. Mm-hmm. But he was, in a lot of ways, trying to do a little bit more to help. Well, without the detention centers, what you're establishing essentially is uh a no border process which just it's you can't it's almost impossible i know we 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 argue about opening borders and that would take a it would take decades of 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 thought planning and process to be able to to do that i get it from a pragmatic perspective so i get the need for some kind of a facility i don't know if detention is a great word process that's yeah i was gonna say i don't really i i think that detention has such a negative connotation so yeah like could be like there's the idea of of it being sort of housing for for people but then you start sort of viewing it as like ghettos Mm. you know and there's it's hard that and adam i think you really nailed it which is no matter what you're going to do your your opposite your reciprocal is going to use it the opposite way yeah like even separating families at the border. The reason that isn't necessarily a bad thing is if you keep the families together, then their immigration case is going to be heard as a group. So if dad did something that bars him from being able to become eligible to live in the country, the entire family is included in that decision and they all get shipped back. But if you separate kids and parents at the border, then the kids can have a separate immigration hearing and may be able to stay in the country. And I think that is an example of the Trump administration taking something that Obama meant as a means of at least letting these kids in possibly and twisting it to where now people on the left are like, no, 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 you don't break up those families. You let them all stay together. And the Trump administration is going to be like, all right, and now we'll just do all of their uh, immigration stuff as a group. We don't have to let anyone stay. There's room for the fact that the that that is problematic as well, like of the separating of the families thing. Like, yes, there's room for that. Like, I don't think anybody here is saying that it's good that families are separated at the border. (laughs) No, no, not at all. Just that it's a little more nuanced than that. That's the thing that I think would be nice in 2020 that we don't get is the understanding of nuance and great. Yes. 
Absolutely. Um, we are a very binary. Uh, this is a very binary year, especially in the last since since the past four years. It's been very binary. Yes or no with us or against us. And it doesn't yeah. leave a lot of room. Gray then, is gray is no longer a color. And even right. in saying this, people will be like, shut the fuck up, centrist, which yeah, I'm, I'm not. But, you know, you, people hear what they want to hear now. Yeah. I'm just going to say, why couldn't they just call it like processing centers? Well, I mean, you can call it whatever you want. I mean, I know, but like we were saying, like detention just sounds bad. It's like yeah. immigrant processing center sounds sounds better to me. True. And it is kind of why I said like, oh, but then you're just getting ghettos. It's like the same. Th- it's the same kind of thing. It's just like we're really we're polishing a turd. Yeah, we're polishing a turd. But a processing center makes at least makes it sound like we're going to work on processing paperwork to help you be uh, become a citizen rather than like we're just going to detain you here or we're going to semi permanently house you here. It's a whole ass thing, man. It is yeah. a whole ass thing. Yeah. Like Obama's administration is not nominated for sainthood by doing this. And I, uh, no. And, and but it's certainly the, the major concern comes through how, how this process is being used in the future. Because, you know, he was separating families at the border too. That's a thing that was happening. Yeah. Well, what was happening under his watch more than that was kids were showing up without parents yeah those numbers we we read earlier that was just unaccompanied minors wow who came across the border in 2014 bunch of little like, bruce waynes running around yeah bunch of little little batman and girls I, see how i tied it <laughs> we wrapped that up you see how i did that thank you hey another thing that happened in 2014 that eventually leads to the UK getting what I, I have always termed as their Trump, the Scottish independence referendum when Scotland decided they should be their own separate country from the UK. And people went to the polls and they lost. Scotland did not win. Well, look, Scotland has their own weird separate English. So why not be their own weird separate country? I mean, they have fought a lot for that in the past. Yeah. Did you yes. see Braveheart? <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, actually, no, I've never seen Braveheart. I have actually never seen Braveheart either. I'm you sorry. know, it's not bad. It's not a bad. I, I mean, I've heard it's good. It's, yeah, it's. Not I literally correct. just can't watch Mel Gibson That's in fair. things anymore. Like, oh come it, on, why? <laughs> I mean, not even Mad Max. What what Mel <laughs> Gibson ever do? I I as a sugar titted American <laughs> felt very insulted by what he. <laughs> No, come on! I'm a fag Jew. Let's get in. Come on, I. Yeah, yeah. You got a lot of. Uh huh. A lot of. I took a lot of you. boxes for his bullshit. Yeah. A lot of fire coming from Mel Gibson's direction towards yeah. you. Yeah, the only Mel Gibson movie I can stand is Chicken Run because I don't have to look at his face. The Beaver is unfortunately very, very good. God damn it! I've heard this so much. <laughs> I'm a, I'm great. a, I'm a Road Warrior and Mad Max guy. Yeah. Well, Obviously. yeah, but that's like pre-sugar tits, pre-anti-Semitism. I mean, I'm sure it's not pre-anti-Semitism. It's <laughs> no, pre-public no, anti-Semitism. Sure. I'm pretty sure that that, sh- that route always runs deep. Yeah. No, that first- started in 2014, too. Yeah, what was the first black person we saw? Yeah, Jews in had it-, it real good until 2014. <laughs> yeah, the uh, I was going to say, what's the first black person we saw in Mad Max? Was that Tina Turner? I have a feeling... <laughs> It took three movies and Tina Turner to allow a black person in a Mel Gibson movie. She was great in it, though. I mean, and, and to be fair, I don't think that was George Miller being racist. 
George no. Miller fucking owns. Yeah. So the Scottish independence referendum, it failed, but it set the stage for Brexit, which obviously succeeded. And I would argue, I've said it a bunch of times, but I feel like Brexit was Trump for the UK. It was. It was their polarizing thing to vote on that very severely divided the country. It was racist, but without admitting it was racist. It, it All the was, things. It was also old white people being duped by something without a plan. Mm-hmm. And, yes. and the power, because I remember when Brexit happened, I remember writing a tweet that was like, hey, America, this is what happens when old white people are dumb and are tricked and young people don't go out to vote. Like the, the smart and informed are not moving forward and caring mm-hmm. about their future. And that this is what happens. You're watching it happen. And, and we saw it happen to us because we didn't learn from England. I don't remember much about the Scottish independence referendum. I think I just didn't give that much of a shit at the time. Yeah, I mean, who would? It it seems like California trying to become its own country. Like, well, well it's like Quebec. Quebec did that in yeah. the nineties, uh, and they do that every like twenty years or something like that, or every ten or twelve years. They're like, "This have to be our own country. Should we be we our own country?" The rest of Canada. Yeah, we no? speak French. We are the Quebecois. C'est francophone. You know, like they're all they're all about it. Shall we go for it? Bonjour. That's that's a good that's a good Ariana Grande doing Celine Dion. It there. is great, isn't it great? <laughs> I was going to pull that out myself. Is this is this number is for the children, <laughs> for all the all the parents and all of the children. That's everybody. That's but yeah, this was a thing. I don't think I ever took any kind of independence referendum or cessation movement seriously until Brexit. So when this one was happening, I think I barely even knew about it. But now it really called Skagsit. No, no. Oh, because I was going to say, I'm pretty sure that is the, <laughs> the, the villains in the Dark Crystal. The, yeah, the Skagsits. Uh, you know what it really comes down to, Adam, is this is the first one. Uh, we didn't notice it. Brexit's the first one that like went through. Yeah. So like that's why we look at it. Like we're not paying attention to these referendums because they don't mean anything until they get passed. Mm-hmm. Another thing. That happened in 2014. I don't know if this one is important at all, but ISIS launched in 2014. Like they didn't launch in 2014, but that is the year they started their offensive campaign in Iraq. They dropped a fire album. They sure did. Hottest mixtape of the year. And that's when they set about trying to create a caliphate in Iraq. Uh, If you read up on it or again listen to the episode about how we create our own problems uh seems like it was exactly what the cia and the (laughs) united states in general wanted them to do and they did and uh we're still dealing with it to this day thanks isis yeah thanks isis let's put that as a sound bit for the future caused some serious changes to the television show archer they had to yeah right rewrite those scripts but uh yeah 2014 also the year we got isis that seems big. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of. There's always a few kids named ISIS every year, and you're like that. I feel like that number dropped. Yeah, there was a rapper in the '90s named ISIS. I remember yes. that. It was no an old Sophia. There was um. Nope. The, nobody, an, nobody else saw that. What? Sorry. I was gonna say Sophia. Like I got a news bump the other day that Sophia is the number one baby name again for the tenth year in a row. Really? Yeah. Mm. Eastern Europe making kids, huh? It's the it's the Amanda of the aught tens. 
Did I tell you <laughs> my Michaela uh, experiences when I, I was a soccer coach? And, uh, Multiple I, I, Michaelas? No, okay. I had 18 girls on my team. Okay. My, my soccer okay. team, 18. Four Michaelas on that team. <laughs> but wait, there's more. All four spelled differently. Oh, that's great. Did you did you have to just refer to them by last name at that point? Yeah, of course. I also had a pair of twins and I used to put a piece of masking tape on one of their shoulders so I could tell which oh, one was which. Oh my god. That's brilliant and so smart. I was just like one of you has to volunteer to wear a piece of masking tape so I know which one you are. So yeah, Isis. That happens. <laughs> and they like, joined yep. Isis. <laughs> we we know all about Isis. We don't have to Can, dig I would into just that like to say much. My favorite thing about ISIS, which I have many, is uh, <laughs> that they got that dude's truck, that Ford F-150 or whatever, or the Toyota yeah. Tacoma, mm-hmm. and it's just got, it's still got his fucking, like, contractor sticker on the side, the magnet or whatever, or the paint. Yeah, yeah. So it's just ISIS driving around and, like, John Henderson contract in Milwaukee, <laughs> Wisconsin. And that dude is just like, the fuck? It's my favorite. <laughs> I've never stopped laughing about that. It's the funniest fucking thing. That is great. My favorite thing about ISIS, and Joe, you can go next with your favorite thing. About oh, ISIS. yeah, sure. Mine is that ISIS and evangelical Christians both have the exact same vision for how the world is going to end, uh, where it's going to happen, who the final fight is going to be between. The only thing they differ on is who Jesus is going to come back and fight for. ISIS thinks he's going to come back and fight for them. We think he's coming back for us. God, I want to see that fight when it happens. Yeah, that'll be a good one. It's a Texas plumber, by the way. Yeah, I've seen. Yeah, I've seen it. It's just, it's just such a good, uh, such a good picture because it's just like Mark One plumbing, and then they have like, like a fucking howitzer or something in the back <laughs> so firing off. It is just. Did they ever explain how they got that? Apparently, like he sold it, and then it went to some auctions, or you know, yeah, like, that makes sense. You know, I'm guessing it just went over there. But God, that's so funny. Another thing that happens in 2014 that I once again didn't think shit about when it happened, but it ends up being so very consequential for the year 2020 and uh, most of the years since Trump got elected. And that is Russia annexed Crimea. Well, Crimea River. Which uh, I'm sure they never hear that. No. That is, that's a, that's a good one, Jeff. But basically, that's that's what it sounds like. Crimea used to be part of Ukraine, Duh. and Russia at one point was like, "Nah, you're you're part of us now." Yet, or, were no, were they part of Ukraine, or they they were just an independent country? I believe they are an autonomous uh, area of Ukraine. I believe that's kind of how that works off yeah. the top of my head. Not anymore, though, because no. Russia basically annexed Crimea. They made most of the country just part of Russia. And then the biggest city in Crimea is like a separate, it's called like the federal city of, I don't remember the name of the the biggest city in Crimea. But what that did is Crimea was always kind of a buffer between Ukraine and Russia. And Ukraine has always been worried that Russia is going to do to them what they just did to Crimea in 2014. So we have historically been on the side of Ukraine in this conflict. And as a result of Russia doing this, 
Obama slapped a bunch of sanctions on them. And again, when it happened in 2014, I doubt anyone thought anything of it. But fast forward to 2016, and not only are those sanctions the reason the Russian government interfered in the 2016 election the way they did, but a phone call about those sanctions between Michael Flynn and the Russian ambassador to the United States, I believe. Uh, A phone call between those two about these sanctions is what kicks off the fucking Russia investigation. And all of that stemming from an incident that happened in the year of our Lord, 2014. Sorry, 2K14. It's it's very funny because um, a lot of people like... It's funny. Russian history was actually my my one of my major focuses uh, when I got my degree. Oh, uh, wow. Russia, Russia started in the Ukraine. Uh, Russia is actually it was a trading port. Um, Kiev was a trading point along the Dnieper River for uh, what we would call Vikings um, coming down to trade. So they set up Kiev uh, and then Russia just expanded from there. And then obviously, as it gets more less Scandinavian, more Russian as it spreads over. Um, but so Russians always sort of favorably look upon wanting it back. Yeah, that's, like that's where they consider because, you know, it was Kiev and then they moved it uh, to what was essentially, you know, we'll say finally Moscow. Um, and it took a while for that to happen. Several, several different Ivans coming in and the czars establishing all these big spots and, and annexing all this, you know, eastern land. But they've always wanted to reclaim the Ukraine because they consider it to be them. It's sort of a, a lot of how Hitler wanted to um, sort of annex his home. Yeah. He was like, give me back to Austria, baby. Yeah. I remember the first time this situation really came on my radar was after Trump was in office and kind of before all the Russia stuff broke out. I remember just feeling like, yeah, this feels like a point in history where a world war could kick off. And I started uh-huh. Googling around to see uh, where in the world people are thinking a World War Three could happen. And one of the ones that kept coming up was the Balkan region. And I was like, what the fuck's happening there? Turns out it was this, and it's still happening. Always the thing about the Balkan, you know, we just destabilized them. Like, that's something that people seem to forget, is we just destabilized that, re- that um, region three decades ago. You remember, we destabilized the Middle East around World War II, and look where that is right now. Yeah. So, like, yeah, it's going to be an issue. So... Huh. When you look at sort of the Middle East and and sort of all these sort of, you know, white European colonist countries that are just creating their own borders in the Middle East and that fucks everything up. They didn't really take into consideration a lot of the people, um, tribes and and all these different areas and, and all these different sort of groups of people and where they live. They didn't care. They were just like, this is where the border is. And that fucked it up. Well, that just happened in the Balkan region. And they're still reeling from that. And they also have access to way more interesting guns these days. Oh, yeah. In in part, thanks to us, especially no, I, in Ukraine. Oh, well, I was going to say, because of American arms dealers, you opened up yeah. capitalism in an area that you just destabilized. Who do you think is going to be making the most money? Fucking fast food and weapons. Yeah. Welcome to America. Welcome I'm to- genuinely, I'm too stupid for this show. <laughs> well, that's why I'm on here to tell you the stupid shit that I learned. No one is too stupid for the next thing. That happened in 2014. I think we all understand what this was. Mm. Gamergate happened mm. in 2014. Finally, someone talks about ethics in gaming journalism. Finally. And yes, that is ex- absolutely what it was about, was ethics in gaming journalism. Not a bunch of crusty, gutter punk white dudes <sighs> trying to 
make sure yeah. video games just stay as white as possible. White and I, male. And oh. I forgot. Yeah, I'm sorry. Let me. I actually don't. I wasn't that tuned in to Gamergate because I don't care about video games that much. Do either of you remember being like even being involved in this or knowing anyone? Do you remember doxing any women over this? <laughs> so here's the thing about sort of, you know, I think everybody <clears throat> listening or most people listening would know that I make my living in the nerd sector. Like my world is the world of the geek. So, but my, mine is primarily through, um, sort of, uh, narrative fiction as opposed to gaming, which is a, a much more interactive and sort of open sourced world. But there's a very similar aspect to both, which is that these are groups of people that grew up oftentimes, uh, feeling like they were the neglected children of what you know they they were the ones that were bullied everybody's like oh, i was bullied because i like x-men or i was bullied because I, I played video games all the time and then they started to realize that other people enjoy those things and weren't bullied weren't picked on and they start to realize that one of the reasons that they didn't have a lot of friends is because they're assholes like that's yeah. that's a that's a true factor in that and i get i deal yeah. with that a lot because people are like how come how come you like the same thing i do and yet you have, you know, a much different social life. It's like, well, maybe you just aren't facing the fact that part of it is because you're a fucking jerk. And so when all these people band together, and this is one of the big problems with the Internet, is that finding like groups is good when it's somebody yeah, that feels a whole lot of chips on shul from shoulders oh. can create a massive statue like. And, and that's exactly that's exactly what ends up happening. Now, the reaction and the sort of the guise of ethics in gaming journalism is because uh the claim was essentially that people were sort of reviewing games without the experience mm. yeah and that and that you were sort of it's the fake geek girl that is sort of uh, right this well also and they were claiming that video game developers were like trading sex for good video game reviews no ethics because a woman can't possibly have an opinion yeah. on something without having a sexual bribe involved. Uh, right. It's it's a very it's a very neckbeard argument, and it's one of those things that leads people because when they act like this, the pushback is going to be venomous. Because mm -hmm. when you act like a fucking asshole on a global platform like Twitter, and people see it, they're going to be like, "Hey, you're a fucking asshole," and people don't like being told they're an asshole, so they find places where people say, "No, you're right," and that is places like fucking 4chan and 8chan, fucking Reddit. Like all these places, uh, Facebook groups that are basically the the gate groups. Yeah. So, so now gate has gone from being a scandal like uh, Watergate, which originally just meant kind of like anything that was a scandal. We used gate to now specifically almost like this right wing reactive group of people. Like it's ch the, 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 the suffix of gate has now changed to being like, oh, a group of assholes. Yeah, because it's Comicsgate has something that that built from Gamergate. So Comics has something too, just like that. Yeah, and it ends up being kind of a tactic Trump uses when he's running for president. Even if you watch the 60 Minutes interview that he's so angry about, he actually posted the unedited version on Facebook, and I watched it the other day. And at one point in that interview, Leslie Stahl is like, don't you think 
people are bothered by you always attacking people on Twitter and calling them names and being so aggressive on social media. And he goes, do they hate it? Because where am I? It got me to the White House. Like it got me elected. So do people really hate that? And I think that is kind of a valid question. It's a valid question. It would, okay, I think it would be a valid question four years ago or three years ago. I think now, like, uh, Stahl's question is more valid than Trump. You know what I'm saying? Like, now I think more people are, like, kind of over it and tired of it. Even people that were like, hey, this is funny, and they, they liked him for it. Now don't like him for the exact same reason. Bullying happens, and people react from bullying, and some people think it's funny. Think about high school. Think about any fucking movie where somebody gets bullied and then everybody is like, ah, and they're laughing. Those people loved it. That's not the people that we're worried about. What we're worried about is the bullied, not the audience. Right. And that's the problem. I found a Salon.com article about the comparisons between Gamergate and the Trump campaign. And it came out before Trump got elected. So this quote is actually kind of sad in retrospect. Here goes. Eventually, most witnesses to Gamergate woke up and saw it for what it was. I don't know if that's true, but going on. I have no doubt the same will happen with the Trump campaign. Even if many people don't get it right now, history will remember the campaign as a black mark on our democracy forged in bigotry. Well, that part. Those are the words of someone who's assuming Trump's going to lose, obviously. Yeah. And uh, guess what? what? Yeah. He did. Yikes. Because he's got the presidency and the world started falling apart. Hey, everybody. This is Adam, host of the podcast you're listening to. Just a heads up that if you want to hear this podcast and everything else the Unpops Network puts out completely free of annoying ads like this, head to patreon.com slash unpops or unpopsnetwork.supercast.tech and subscribe for a very low price. You get everything we put out as a network completely ad-free, plus a whole lot of bonus episodes that you can't hear anywhere else. Again, that's patreon.com slash unpops or unpopsnetwork.supercast.tech. To figure out which of those two is the right option for you, head to unpops.com slash subscribe. Thanks. We love you. Let's get back to the show. So the next thing I want to talk about that also happened in 2014 was the Bundy standoff. Cliven and Ammon Bundy. Part one. Yeah, there were two of these. And in both cases, this father and son team led armed standoffs against the fucking federal government and won both times. The first time it happened, they eventually went to trial over it and they were acquitted. And then the one that happens in 2016 where they take over that like wildlife reserve or whatever it was. Oh, shit. That I remember. Oh, fuck. They didn't have to be acquitted because Trump pardoned them when he took office. And this is one of those situations where even though the people involved can't strictly be described as white supremacists, the white supremacist movement took this as sort of a rallying moment. And what they've especially taken from it is what I think is a 
accurate notion that a lot of people are on their side, be it the general public, the justice system, cops. A lot of people are on their side when it comes to white supremacy. I would also say that libertarianism, which is sort of the ideology that we see most often in situations like this, is very appealing, yes, to white supremacy, but very specifically, it's very appealing to white privilege because it's meaning libertarianism says uh, there should be no regulations because I have what I have. But you have what you have because there were no regulations like you have what you have and other people got stepped on. And so a lot of people, a lot, especially libertarians, see this as a heroic victory in the face of the tyranny of equality. Yeah. And what this ends up leading to is I think a lot of what we're seeing now, like white nationalism is really having a moment and the Bundy's played into that a whole lot to the point now where Ammon Bundy is building a nationwide network of assistance as he calls Great. them. And Great. he's using coronavirus as a means to do that. Yeah, he is. And cool, 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 cool. that kind of leads us to what next week's episode is going to be about, which is a group called the Oath Keepers. Like we spend a lot of time talking about the Proud Boys and the alt-right and three percenters to a lesser degree. But the Oath Keepers to me are the scariest group because one, they're a bunch of fucking boomer fucks who don't care if they die soon because they're all in their 50s and 60s anyway but they're also the group that is most actively recruiting ex-military and ex-law enforcement to their side for a split second i thought you were gonna say x-men and i was like yeah that's a very powerful group that they're gonna get i don't know why my brain i mean i get it i'm wearing an x-men jacket right now but like my head was like oh yeah they're getting the x-men that's gonna be tough that would be a problem but yeah, I think this is one of the the groups that's going to be the most problem after the election happens, especially if Trump loses, which like what we're doing the Oath Keepers episode next week, the election is the next day. We're still not going to know the outcome of that election for a while. Like yeah. it's it's going to be some weeks. But if it doesn't end in Trump winning, I think the Oath Keepers are going to be the first motherfuckers really in the streets ready to cause violence over it can i have a i'm gonna ask a question for both of you yeah have you thought about buying a gun Uh, yes but i also know i in my life have been prone to suicidal tendencies so i shouldn't have a gun anywhere near me no don't get a gun i just know it's not a good idea i'm anti-gun i'm anti-gun and like what am i gonna do like if i have a gun does that mean i'm gonna go out and fight the Oath Keepers in the streets? Like, that's what the military is supposed to do. I find myself waffling a bit and sort of going back and forth where, like, I'm anti-gun. I don't, I think we should have way stricter gun restrictions and blah, 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 and all that. But And then I get these thoughts, which are like, but I should get a gun. You know, you know, I've I've waffled with the idea of, like, I, maybe I should go to a shooting range and learn how to shoot a gun at the very least. Like, maybe not own one, but it's very know fun. that it's very if fun. the shit I've never done, I've literally never held anything more than like a prop gun in my hands ever. Um, Joe, Joe, I'm going to tell you right now, it's super satisfying. Like, I get why I people love doubt guns. It, but They're like, there's awesome. just something, I mean, I, I guess it, it really is just the way I was raised in the house I was raised in, like, to just fear, got, like, guns beyond anything. Like, 
that's alcohol. I, like my parent, my parents also are like born and raised New Yorkers, so like they grew up in New York during like the shit, you know. He's like my dad's Bernie Getz. Yeah, exactly. So like, yeah, so they they grew up like fearing the violence of New York, so they raised me to like fear the violence that they knew, which is like, hey, people are just getting shot left and right. <laughs> in this city i'm like it's the 90s look out people are gonna tell you to shut up a you face shut up a you face and then tell me to forget about it yeah oh hey people are gonna be walking here <laughs> they're gonna be hey they're gonna they can tell me to shut up in my face and then gaslight me by telling me to forget about it <laughs> forget about it or you shut up a you face and then a forget about it i'm walking here. i never even thought about how forget about it is just italian gaslighting so the last thing i want to talk about that happened in 2014. This is a big one. Flint changed its water source. You wouldn't think that changing your water source from Detroit to something else would cause a problem. Like I don't historically associate Detroit with super clean water. Ford water, the best water in America. In 2014, they switched their water source from Detroit to the Flint River. And it turns out the Flint River was a hugely polluted nightmare, and now Flint has a major water crisis on its hands that hasn't been fixed. Like, it's still... Could have been fixed. Yeah, one of the one of the things when Bloomberg was running for president briefly this year, he spent more money campaigning in Michigan than it would have cost to fix the water source in Flint. It's like, that might have got you elected. Is there, Do that. There's this whole thing about, I, I always wonder about that. Like, what's the what's the prevention? And, and I'm, obviously, I'm springing this question on here. I don't expect either of you to know the answer to this, but this is just my own brain. What's to stop somebody like Mike Bloomberg from just being like, I fixed Flint's water. Like, I, fi- I paid the money to fix it. Like, is there like some sort of red tape that's involved? Some sort of like government, uh, you can't have a private citizen you know, change a government decision. Like, what's the fucking deal with that? That that drives me crazy. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like a thing philanthropy could take care of. But the the other problem, we, we talked about this in, I think, 2018 in an episode about news stories that weren't getting enough attention. But The Guardian did an investigation into other water sources in the United States And they found 3,000 other communities across the country that also have similar problems with lead in their water in the United States. So capitalism. I I mean, I almost understand why the United States hasn't been more vocal about that, because that would that would lead to a fucking panic. So, uh, yeah, that's it's and it's still fucking awful. And it's still one of those things that's just like when when you I've read. I forget what the number is, but they're like, this is how much it would cost to fix. And every time I see that number, I'm like, that doesn't seem like a lot. Yeah, it's like 400 million or something like, like that. That seems like when you think about what ear- is earmarked in either way. But I also get the understanding of if there are 3,000 other communities across the country, that's going to be three. That That's what 1.2 trillion. If you if you bump that up, that's a bit more. Which we do come up with that kind of money for things. Sure, but like- we're not trying to shoot these people. So why would we? give them that much money like there i i really feel like there are three thousand separate people with you know 400 million dollars to help these communities you know what i mean like it's not like it all has to come from one so like you were just saying why couldn't a rich person like mike bloomberg just be able to go and fix this community's water okay great there's one now what the fuck is elon musk and jeff bezos and other disgustingly yeah. ridiculously rich people 
Bob Iger and you they're know, too busy uh, trying uh, to crush uh, yeah. unions. Fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wanted to bring up. I know Adam that you said you only had that one, but there are two things that I wanted to bring up for you, my friend, that that you didn't bring up, and I just wanted to um, bring up one. Uh, Beats by Dre bought by Apple, making Dr. Dre a billionaire and oh, wow. Uh, wow. making a much more uh, adding prestige to. Um, overrated audio equipment that has i mean the headphones sound nice they sound fine but they're they don't it's sound better little... than a something that costs half the price you know they, they, they have weights added in it's a whole thing but congratulations to dr dre uh for being a billionaire and then second the uh first pot stores in america were opened in colorado oh, wow. uh you mean the first recreational yes. weed stores yeah Wow. Yeah, that one is important because my concern with recreational weed is that's got to be wrecking the fucking environment. I mean, like as agriculture can do. Yeah. When I get, well, not just the agriculture, but the packaging, like yeah. I get weed delivered and like just the other night I got two uh, grams of concentrate and they show up, they're in these elaborate cardboard boxes and then these glass jars they deliver it in this envelope that is definitely not going to disintegrate in a landfill. And there's like no recycling program yeah. for it. Like the packaging for weed has to be fucking the environment. Yeah. I would think. Especially during COVID. Because I'm assuming there's like an extra layer added. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah. But it's just something because I know that you recreational marijuana, you've always said too, because it also you're going to look at the tobacco industries and they're going to essentially do a parallel shift to that i uh because i also wanted to mention i uh for the first time in my life uh engaged in recreational marijuana use last week last oh, week that's right yeah i had an edible and how'd you enjoy that experience it was it made me very sleepy it made me sleepier mm -hmm. than i was expecting um i took a 10 milligram edible and it was just i was Oh, wow. I'm so jealous that that's all you needed to be like, I'm going to go to sleep. But I just wanted to add those two things, Adam, because I thought that you might be interested in those two. They're, those were good. They weren't like world changing cataclysms, but I thought they would be a little nice, a little nice. Well, the recreational the weed thing is yeah. kind of. Yeah. A little. Yeah. The, the recreational weed thing. I'm surprised I missed that. A little spice on the meal. You know what I'm talking about here? You win this time, fuckface. Yeah. Let's flavor it up. Important hot sauce on my so, notes. Colorado was <laughs> the first state to legalize it recreationally, yeah? Yes. Yeah. Okay. okay. And then Washington and I think California was third. So wait, where Maybe was Oregon. Alaska on this? Because weren't the, were they the ones to do it first medically then? I know Alaska was like is randomly one of those states that's like, oh yeah, med medicinal marijuana has been legal here for like a decade or yeah, now it's like like 15 years. It's like, wait, really? I get the vibes that Alaska is like giant New Hampshire. Like it's just this kind of like live for your die. Kind of no man's haven, land. No it man's seems land. like a it seems like a testing facility. Right. Like it seems like a all of Alaska seems like a government operation. It's, it's or something. a testing Agreed. facility yeah. slash fish cannery. That's yeah. all it yeah. is. Like there are 100 percent aliens there. If you believe in aliens, it's like fucking Alaska. Oh, That's yeah. They're going to be. Oh, John Gorley told me a fantastic UFO story. When we were in Roswell, that happened in Alaska. Uh, Great. I like that he told uh, Zach uh, from Portugal. The man told me an interesting story about seeing Randy Johnson at like four thirty in the morning at a random liquor <laughs> or you know gas station uh, in Alaska. And could you imagine seeing that giant monster of a human being that <laughs> you recognize and know? And you're like, why the fuck are you here? He was up there fishing. <laughs> So if you're listening to the pod for free, 
thank you very much. And also, this is the end of the show. We should, uh, we'll, we'll be getting to plugs. But if you're a Patreon subscriber, we got some bonus topics coming for you right now. Because here's the thing. Lots of other shit also happened in 2014 that we have not been able to get to. That's pronounced bonus track. It's called BoneCon. BoneCon. Welcome to BoneCon 2020. Ooh. And uh, here it comes if you're a subscriber. Otherwise, uh, I think that's our episode. We did it. Yeah, I'm feeling good about it. We made it. This was a good one. I'm feeling about it. Thank you both for doing it. Uh, one thing I, sh- I should mention also that makes 2014 and 2020 so different. We still have a chance to change things in 2020. We like do. We can still vote. So fucking do it. Vote, everybody. Go vote or I will fucking beat you. Yeah, for real. I'll risk COVID. I'll get on a plane, come to wherever you are and beat your ass. Beat yeah. you to death. No mask. <laughs> I'll beat you with my mask. So please do that. Please go fucking vote. And yeah, uh, please. that's all I have to plug this week. What else, what else, Joe, what do you got to plug? I have nothing to plug. Just follow me Twitter and Instagram at Joe Charles K A Y E. You're not working on anything, Jeff. Joe. You got any, nothing coming down the pike? Well, we're we're um we're working on uh an action actually for real getting a podcast out there. Um, me and uh, the lovely, amazing, perfectly hilarious Valerie Tossi. Um, but we're we're it's still early stages, so I don't want to like plug anything. But we don't even have a name yet, so we just know it's about musicals. So if you've always wanted to hear this faggot scream about musicals, um. We're getting it. He said it. It's we coming. Didn't. I've said it multiple times in this episode. Uh, well, that's great. I'm looking forward to to seeing where that germinates. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm very excited about it. And follow Joe so you can see his Instagram stories of what movies he's watching because I am fascinated by it. Oh, we're, I'm probably going to do some something along the likes with this in Christmas movies uh, come <gasps> let me, December. Let me tell you, this was a lot. Or... This was a lot of fun to like figure out these double features yeah. so adam knows how i feel about christmas movies so that being said for I my know. plugs check i know out, how you feel about christmas check movies. out christmas this year december 25th 2020 sideshow sideshow <laughs> is every other tuesday through sideshow collectibles you can check that out uh every wednesday on gamefully unemployed is tom and jeff watch batman and you don't even like sports a podcast about adam who doesn't like sports uh, you don't even like you sports. don't even like sports uh and that is through the unpopular opinion uh network and uh, it goes up what on fridays thursdays thursdays every Thurs- other thursday every other thursday it goes up uh and you're gonna want to check that out you can find me at hey there jeffro and we need to get out of here because adam todd brown needs he's to go literally make falling asleep on nights. adam i am say, ready to die adam say goodbye jeff say goodbye i already said it adam say goodbye goodbye bye joe say goodbye bye goodbye everybody we love you Bristol Street!